Hello, this is Black Country Blokes Chewing the Fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the moms, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. Having your gang, this is the Black Country Blokes tuning the fat. With me, Kev Dillon, Craig Pinches, Lee Cadman. And we've got a very special guest on today, Cherry Gillings. Now, I met Cherry when we were on our mental, mental health first aid course. And we instantly got along and I found her life was so inspiring and the things she's been through. And then when we were talking, she starts this thing called The Listening Post. And I'll get her to explain everything about it. So, Cherry, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you uh, for inviting me. And so let, let's talk about some of the struggles and victories that you've been through. Wow. So I, I think something... So when we did that mental health first aid training, one of the questions on the course was something about your first memory. And... Um, I guess because I've remembered this memory lots of times, it didn't really have any weight for me anymore. And, you know, you do therapy and all that stuff. So I said in the group, well, my first memory was of my birth mother getting hit and pushed down some, you know, flying across the room and sliding down a door. And, and, uh, and I just said it kind of flippantly. And um, what happened was the following week when we came back, that memory was brought back to me as something that had landed for a couple of people in the room in a way that I hadn't anticipated it landing like that. And, um, and I guess, so, so I guess, you know, starting at the beginning, um, I was in one of those, what is what you'd now say is an adverse childhood experiences, you know, so uh, domestic violence and in my background, uh, left by my birth mother, put into foster care and all this kind of stuff. And, raised in um, raised in the northwest of uh, the country in Liverpool and um, and um, what happened was um, it was it was quite challenging there was lots of racism Liverpool at the time was the most known as like one of the most racist cities in the country so I had this nonsense happening all of the time um, yeah you come through that or I came through that um, but I was telling the guys that eventually, um, eventually I became a drug addict. That's the that's the long and short of it. And uh, went to prison. Um, got quite a long sentence. Really, you know, cracking heroin with my substances of choice. And uh, I say of choice, like I had some choice in it. But yeah, so I've got a recovery story as well. Um, yeah. What, but this is like Cherry. years ago now, right? Mm. I've been um, so, drug free since 1999. Been to college, university. I work in a drug and alcohol rehab today. Um, and and I guess I guess I can just say this stuff because it's just been my life, and it doesn't really. It's it, it just is, you know. You don't. I didn't kind of. I wasn't at uni thinking, "Wow, I've, aren't I amazing? I've turned my life around." That didn't happen. But something that did happen was one day I was teaching, lecturing at Greenwich University. And um, this was maybe in 2006. And it occurred to me whilst I was lecturing at the university 
that nobody in the room knew that I'd been an addict. They didn't know that I'd been to prison. They didn't know anything about that. They were just waiting for me to teach, to share. And, uh, and I suddenly realized that all of that history, all of that stuff, it, it, it's only something large in, it was only something really large in my own mind, yeah? It was a, quite a profound moment. Like suddenly you're the person you've been waiting for. Wow. Yeah. So strange, but, but you know, that was my experience. And the thing is, like what you've been through, it is your experience. It's not something that you've read about. It's no. And that's why I want to have people like yourself on, um, who can turn life around. Because we we know people who are on drugs and there's a high chance they're gonna stay on drugs for the rest of their life. Yes. And there's the other people who have had that they haven't had the life lying to get them out of it, or they, they've had the lifeline and they keep refusing it. So I yeah. find it remarkable with people like yourself. Yeah. Who, the past is the past, it's happened. Mm. But it's whether you're going to allow the past to dictate the rest of your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think... And what, sorry. You talk, sorry. I was going to say that um, something that something that occurs to me, you know, more recently is... Mental health, mental well-being. You know, um, I work in the recovery sector, and lots of people will monitor and you know really pay attention to uh, clean time and, and recovery, and um, that's not really how I look at it. For me, it's really about my mental health, and my mental well-being. Um, if that was to deteriorate and be unmanaged, and you know just deteriorate rapidly, then actually relapse becomes possible. So for me, it, the pursuit of well-being is, is the most important thing, you know, um, and it's not separate from, from recovery, but like recovery is a part of, a part of the well-being. Have you seen in your sector, because of all this with lockdown and everything, being isolated, and the thing is when, you're, when you've got mental health problems, they say don't isolate. Yes. And then if you have got that monkey on your back saying go and get some some drugs or go and get your beer or go and get your, yeah. whatever your fix is. Yeah. Have you seen a massive influx at the, at the moment? So not so much a massive influx, but what we've seen is that in the recovery community, particularly in the 12 step recovery community, the emphasis is very heavily on connection and attending meetings. So um, of course, all the meetings were stopped or closed down. And um, what we began to see was people relapsing left, right and centre. Because, of course, if, if I believe that my wellness is dependent upon me attending a meeting and then I can't get to that meeting, then actually I start to become fearful that I might relapse. And, of course, when I become fearful, I become anxious. And actually, what's more likely to happen? <laughs> relapse, yeah? If you have a sense that actually your well-being is not in the meeting, but it's actually something innate and within you, and that actually when you get to a meeting, your well-being connects with other people's well-beings and offers it to people that don't yet know they have it, then whether you get to a meeting in person or you get to a meeting online, you're gonna be all right because you, you know the belief, the story that you're living in is different. And, and I think that What's been wonderful is how the fellowships have 
moved many of their meetings online. There's a whole kind of online network thing happening now. Um, but you're absolutely right, yeah? The, the relapses, you know? I like because like some very good friends suffer mental health and they they get anxious. But when they can have a um, uh, a carer in a word or a mental health professional come to the house or they go to meetings, yeah. they're all they're all right. But they say, "Kev, you're the only person I could talk to on the phone because I trust you." And he goes, "I'm already suspicious of the doctors. I'm I'm yeah. a technophobe, so I don't." Yeah. And he goes, "With you." I can tell you stuff, but you're still not professional. I don't want to break down and cry to you because they're not. And so the meetings, is that safe haven? Is that church, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. But also what you're pointing to is there's a wonderful book by a chap called John, John McKnight called The Abundant Community. And, you know, back in the day, we wouldn't have had counsellors and psychiatrists and, you know, people like that. But actually the community, the neighbours they would have been the ones who got around people and held people up and carried people through. And, you know, that would have been, we would have had community, but, you know, like nowadays people have professionals in their lives that they can't talk to. How sad is that? Oh, that is so sad. So you have a professional in your life you can't talk to, but you don't, you don't necessarily, what you do need is somebody who you can talk to professional or not, you know? And that's where, um, that's where the listening post came in. My daughter's friend a number of years ago, um, I think it was 2017, he took his own life and uh, or completed suicide, we'd say now. And um, he was only a young boy and all of her friends, like it, it shook all of her young friends. And I witnessed their shaking and I found that really distressing. I think maybe a very early twenties, and I was in this space of, oh, you know, what can we do about this? There must be something that we can do about this. Like, why are the young people, you know, um, in so much pain and, and, and checking out of life? You know, wh where is this hopelessness, despair coming from? And, um, and then at the same time, there was a question put out by uh, a chap called Jamie Smart who said, you know, what can you guys as coaches do who have a particular understanding about life? Like life works on the inside out, not the outside in. So you guys who have that understanding, like what can you offer the world in mental health, what mental health awareness week? And I just had this idea, well, let's rock up and listen. Let's host listening posts. Let us turn up with our two ears <laughs> and our open heart and make space for people. So, um, we just started doing it. Like I was at Mary Hill on a regular, just rocked up with a teddy bear, big teddy bear, big I'm listening t-shirt on. Um, just letting people know, like, I, like, I'm just here to listen. Really? Yeah, just to listen. Like we had something like, um, I think we had like 59 coaches, 59 coaches take part in it up and down the country. And, you know, we had folks in the States take part, folks in South Africa and Canada. Um, and then we repeated it. We've repeated it twice more since then. And um, it's something that I want to do more and I haven't been able to, particularly around this time, it would be helpful to do it. But um, because I'm working full time, I'm doing my own coaching as well. It's like, ah, oh, not enough hours in the day. But for me, it's that anybody can host the listening post. Anybody, it didn't, it didn't have to be a, a trained counsellor or a trained coach. It was anybody who could listen with an open heart, non-judgmental, and just make space 
for somebody's story. And, and the most important thing was trusting that the person in front of you was okay, even if they didn't know that they were okay. That's lovely. Uh, Craig, have you got anything to chime in with? Just unmute myself there. Um, yeah, firstly, like, I just want to say like, big respect to you because, you know, I know people, as we all do, that they haven't gone through what you, you've gone through. They haven't had uh, the addictions and gone through the life that you have, but they also haven't accomplished what you have. Um you know, an open-mindedness for one to listen to people's problems, knowing that you come from your own problems. So you've sort of gone through a lot of trial and tribulation, and mm. here you are, what everyone, myself included, would consider a massive, massive success story on a great sale. There's people out there that haven't gone through what you've gone through, and they, they wake up every morning with a different excuse. Now, mm. in my eyes, there's, there's excuses, and there's reasons, and an excuse is not, not a reason, you know. And so I, you know, no real questions, but I'd just like to say big respect to you on 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 that front. You know, it's it's lovely to see people like yourself achieve so much after coming from so um, such dark places as such. Um, so yeah, that's what I want yeah, to say. Thanks, Craig. You know what? You know what I would notice about what you're saying is that from the inside of the person who's making the excuse, what sounds like an excuse to our ears. It only sounds like an excuse to our ears, doesn't it? But yeah, inside them, it seems like a perfectly logical, rational reason. And you could ask anyone yeah. who's um, addicted today, who says to you, you know what, Craig, I promise you, I'm done. I'm never gonna pick up again. I'm never gonna do it again. You put them to a lie detector test, they would pass the test. Because in that moment, because they, like, believe it. they absolutely don't want to do it again either. It's, it's, it's a bit of a living yeah. nightmare to be actually living in it. And um, I remember somebody said to me once that if you don't know that you have a choice, then essentially you have no choice. So there's a, there's a, there's a process by which we come to understand, actually, if we can create a bit of space in... If you can create a bit of space in our thinking and create a bit of a space in our experience, just like this, like, like what we're doing now, just listening to each other. Um, sometimes that can be enough for somebody to get a little bit of a distance on their experience and, and, and consider that maybe life could be different. Yeah. And I think that that's the, with some people, they, um, they expect nothing else from their life. They go, yeah. this is, this is what my dad was, this is what my granddad was, this is what my mom was, this is what said maybe I am just this. And we yeah. haven't just got to be anything. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's you why can... one of the things Sorry. about the fellowship is so powerful, because I mean it works on the basis of, you know, everybody shares their story, their journey, and people identify with that and begin to wonder, well, if you could do it, maybe. Maybe I could do it too. Now, I'm not a 12-stepper. That's not how I did my recovery. You know, my route was mainly through education and learning. Um, but it doesn't matter. However you do this thing, as long as you do this thing, yeah? Like, you can't recover when you're dead. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Do you know, um, like, if, I, if I'm just chiming again, you know, like, the way you interpret things and you, the way you view things and, and, like, you just pick me up on, on what we, you know, consider as an excuse maybe a reason mm. to them 
you know, before before like you went through the journey you went through, um, your addiction and things like that, did you have the same outlook or did you have not very much of an outlook? Um, so before all the addiction, were, were you, did you see things as simple or did you just not care? Um, well, I I'm trying to word out. it properly so you understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a little bit different. So when I first started using crack cocaine, um, how I used it was quite recreationally. So I didn't consider myself to be like those drug users over there that were burgling people's houses. Yeah, because that's what was going on in Toxteth. There was burglar in people's houses and all that kind of madness. And um, and I didn't think I was anything like that at all. <laughs> yeah? Little did I know that I was on my way there. Yeah? Right. Little did I know that they probably started somewhere using something recreationally. Yeah? I only saw the tail end of their madness and the impact it was having in the community, you know? Yeah. So in the beginning... I just didn't see myself in that way. It's a, it's an age-old thing, isn't it? When people start doing drugs, it won't get me. Like, it's got everyone else. I'll be all right. I can handle this. And yeah. before you know it, you're too deep in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I can remember visiting my friend in, in, in Liverpool, and I was, already, I was already in it too badly by then. And... Um, and I remember her saying to me, like, look at you, like you are bony, skeletal, like where have you gone? And I was saying to her, I'm all right, I'm all right, I'm all right, don't worry about it, everything's fine, let me 30 quid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like, oh my gosh. So I, you know, I look back at that stuff and, you know, like, because you can remember it, right? I can remember myself that way, I'm like, wow. And then for years, this other thing happened where it didn't seem like it was me that lived that life. It seemed like it was different from me and, and separate from me. But actually, um, over the years, like, and, and I think this maybe applies to, to kind of all kind of mental health conditions as well. We, we can maybe integrate our struggle into our experience and say, yeah, you know what? That was me. And I did, I did do some bad stuff. And actually, I'm really resilient because I'm still here. Yeah. You know, yeah. as opposed to just focusing on the suffering and just focusing on the pain and focusing on the past, you know, yeah. and what's been lost. But as you say, when you can when you can stand up and own it, saying, "All right, I did this. Yeah. I'm fully accountable." But yeah. that isn't all I am. That is what I was. But now's the time to move forwards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we have this kind of understanding that. Um, we're more we're more than whatever problem we're in at the moment, you know. So even when I was practicing my addiction, I was always more than the addiction. Yeah. You know, even when I was uh, anxious and having these panic attacks and couldn't get on the train and had to get off the train and all, even then I was still more than the problem I was experiencing. And I think that. We see it a lot in, you know, in, in, in drug treatment services and what have you, but you'll see it in mental health services as well. People go to the service feeling like I'm a problem and then they're treated like they are a problem, you know? And um, it, it's a very simple thing to remember somebody is more than whatever they're currently presenting with. 
very simple thing, but it makes a whole heap of difference in how you communicate with people, how you receive them, and what you expect from them. I think that's um, that that's an important point, and you know, if years ago, I'm talking probably ten plus years ago, um, we used to have a heroin addict that used to come round to my mum and dad's house, and he knocked the door every time trying to sell this, trying to sell that, yeah. trying to sell the other. Um, his dad used to bring him round actually, and his dad passed away, and I had to give him a lift. The one point I had to give him a lift up to Ollie Hall. Um, probably to do whatever he, he's doing. And he asked me for a mm. lift, politely as well, really polite spoken guy. And I asked him, I asked him his story because I know a lot of people that they'll prejudge, they'll label, they'll they'll shut you down completely because you're scum and this and the other. And I asked him his story and he said, look mate, he said, I got in with a crowd that said it'd be cool to try this, try that, try the other. Yeah. He says, and my life has took this turn. And yes. You know, since then, he, he has recently, over the last couple of years, I've seen him at the hospital two years back, and he lost both of his legs because of his addiction. Um, yeah. He's in a wheelchair. And I really felt for him because he, he never caused us any harm at all. I'm not saying he wouldn't steal from us or whatever, because mm. the addiction is not, it's not your heart, you know. It, yeah. it is something that takes over you. You've still yeah. got to look past that and say, right, you've got to see what's in the heart. And he was a mm. genuinely nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So I think, I think like, um, what, sorry, Cherry, you carry on. So I was going to say that, you know, it's really helpful what you're saying, because if people were met with that question, you know, what's your story? What happened? Instead of like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> or why are you doing yeah. this? But, you know, like, what's your story? What happened? Is so, um, such a wonderfully opening kind of question isn't it you know yeah it really really is yeah it's really 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 lovely yeah lee have you got anything you want to say yeah i'd just like to rewind the conversation a bit and you you mentioned earlier that um how important keeping yourself um mentally well is do you have any strategies or actions that you take to keep to keep yourself well yeah so so when I was, I'm going to, so it's a, I'm going to unwind it a little bit the long way. So when I went for some counselling in um, the IAP service in Dudley, right? Like, blessed, I had this um, mindfulness-based CBT practitioner. And um, so she started doing this mindfulness stuff with me as part of this kind of, you know, CBT conversation. And, um, and... So I carried on practicing mindfulness and um, my little meditation cushion is just there. I've got a little space in my lounge. Like it's not even, an, it's in my lounge. So it's, I can't miss it. Like if you came to visit me, you would see it and go, what's all that over there? Like, you know, little crystals, little altar, little meditation stool, my, my incense and stuff, my sage burning set, all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, I sit and I be quiet and, and I pay attention to my breath and that's it. It's not like, it's not even woo-woo and magic. It's simply like, Pay attention to your breath. And if you can do that three times, you've already meditated, you know. At work, we teach the boys that, um, you know, one conscious breath is a meditation, you know. Because if you can attend to the in and the out, all, you know, and, and the pause at the beginning and the pause at the end. Um, yeah, that's a meditation right there. So that's, so that's the kind of stuff that I do. Um, I've just started running as well. This couch to 5K thing. 
um, which is hilarious, but helpful because you, you actually see yourself progressing. So I went from like four weeks ago, only been able to run for 90 seconds and thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna die to uh, like, I ran for 20 minutes last week, 20 minutes. I was like, wow. And uh, so what I noticed is that, you know, having these little challenges and little goals and little tasks that we set ourselves is helpful. The other thing I do is I, I, I pay attention to what I eat as well. Oh, well, I think about it. Um, I talked to Ian, Ian Hines from Mental Health First CIC, and he sends his yes. love. He saw, he saw you on today, and he said uh, to mention, say hello. Oh, please send him my regards if you, if you speak to him. I loved that first day course. It was a brilliant course. It's very eye-opening, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I would recommend everybody sign up and do that course, really. Uh, any opportunity you get to do it, definitely go and do it, because... What was beautiful for us, Kev, was uh, the yes, diversity sorry. in the group, isn't it? Well, I, when I got there, because I, I haven't been on a course in years, and I was expecting it to be everyone's suits and ties, and they're, they're either, they'd had, everyone in there had, had some form of experience, yes. or it was scaffolders, or it yes. was ex-users, or it was people who were and everyone in there was in the, for the right reason. That yeah. Some people more talkative, like us too, <laughs> and... and <laughs> Others just chimed in when they had to, but there was no one there um, who was judgmental. Oh, you're just a druggie. Oh, you're just a boozer. Oh, you're a suicide. Yeah. It was everyone's listening. And even when people went in with a certain view, they they weren't rigid to it. They, yeah. they would listen about suicide and go, yeah. I've never thought about it in that manner. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Lots of open-mindedness there, yeah. yeah. And I think that's what we've got to be doing in general, but especially at this time. We can't be right about everything, and we can, we can have, a, we can accept to have our views changed on some things. Yeah, absolutely. So, some conversations might be a diff- be a bit difficult to have, but they're worthwhile conversations. Yeah, yeah. So my friend, um, so after we did the mental health first aid training course, my um. I, I, I know someone who's a personal trainer and they work with somebody who is who had been quite down, quite low in mood during this lockdown. And um and I passed on, you know, you know, you know the algae process, the approach and listening, you know, get, get, um uh, engage yeah. support stuff, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. um yeah, I passed that on to him and I said, ask the guy, just ask him if he's thinking about ending his life. And he's like, oh, mm. I said, no, do it, really do it. Like you might be the only person with the courage to ask him and your asking just might save his life. And you know what? He did ask him and he had been thinking about it. I was like, wow. So, you know, this guy thought it was really brave and courageous to ask. It turns out the guy does have a counselor in play, but what he's agreed to do is to meet up every week. And instead of doing like, you know, the fitness end of the personal training. It's, it's actually going to meet and go around the park and just, and actually, you know, I was talking to Matt the other day and he was saying, actually that even that all by itself can help to keep somebody alive. You know, there's a small goal and meeting so-and-so and, and it's a really small, small but can be really, really significant. Oh, I love yeah. it. Love it. It's lost these days, isn't it? Like with the social media and that, even, 
even aunties and mums and whatever else it used to be, I'm nipping around here for a coffee. I'm nipping around there for a tea. You'd yes. meet up. Now it's drop me a message, drop me a WhatsApp, drop me a this. There's no context yes. to it. I mean, if yes. if I were to say to you and I know yeah, are you okay? You're, yeah, mm -hmm. I'd be able to tell by the sound of your voice, by your body language that something's not right. But over a yeah. text, there's no emotional context to it. Yeah. There's, there's no yeah. giveaway signs. And I think it's lost in its big, this, we, we're progressing too, too fast in, in some respects like we, in regards mm -hmm. to the technology. It's sort of mm. anti-social platforms instead of social yes, platforms. Yes, yes, no. yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And of, and of course, like, it's fostered a whole heap of comparisons, hasn't it? You know, yeah. like, even, like, I post stuff on, on Facebook all of the time and I post on Instagram and um, mainly it's stuff, but, like, you never post your worst picture, right? Yeah. Like, you never post a picture of yourself when you just <laughs> woke up in the morning. You never take a picture of the sink. <coughs> dirty in it. You just don't do that, you know? But actually, what people tend to forget is that everyone's only putting their decent stuff up online, yeah? And then they look at that stuff and they get into this, what we call, like, compare and despair thinking trap, you know? Where um, they always compare and come off less than, you know? And at one time, the attention was really on how that affected women and how that affected girls and, you know, eating disorders and all that kind of stuff. But today, um, I think we're much more aware of how it affects men. Yeah. yeah, and how it still inhibits men from talking and sharing and, and, and you know, being able to say, this is what's going on in my life and I'm scared or I'm sad or I'm afraid. And, you know, even, even domestic violence perpetrated against men. Yeah. Even that, you know. It's like now, slowly, people's eyes are beginning to open towards it. It's taken a long time. We've still got a way to go, but... Yeah, we've still got a way to go, but at least we're moving in that right direction. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's like the thin end of the wedge, isn't it? You know, there's there's people grabbing on board, getting on board, and then eventually, actually, it becomes standard. You know, it becomes a standard, actually, that we're all much more tuned in. And I think a lot of it is that not, not the people, not that they don't care, but it's sometimes it's they don't know how to deal with it. So... It, it's like, I mean, I've got an analogy. When I work for Virgin Media, some of you are going to hate Virgin for this. When I work for Virgin Media, uh, my mentor back in 2008, we went to a place in Telford and there was a young single mum and she was having bad uh, television reception. So we said, I'll go and sort it at the green box. I'll, I'll knock you up a few banks. Mm. Um, and we, we, we left the house and we went to drive around, got some chips or whatever else. And I said, are you not going to go and do what you said? He said, no. He said, I'll go back and tell her I have, give it a couple of hours to set up. And then if it doesn't, phone back up. He says, and when she phones back up, somebody else will be the respondent and it'll be their problem. Wow. And I, I, sort of, I sort of think that, like, it, as lighthearted as I feel about it now, it was just Virgin TV. I feel like that's the mentality a lot of people adopt is, uh, if if I don't address that and deal with that, hopefully they'll find someone else to tell the problem to, and then it's their problem to deal with it. And I feel like it's not that they don't care; it's the fact they don't know how to deal with it, so they choose to just let it go to the next um, colleague, as such. Well, yeah, and I think that's where the problem is. I think some people don't know how to care. 
Some people don't know how to deal with it in the right manner. But I think what we have got to do is just show that little bit more compassion. I think mm -hmm. the one thing that we need to be contagious now is love, caring and understanding. And if that can catch off, become more contagious, the world will be a much better place. I think what you've just said, like, contagious compassion. It's like, yeah, let's have some of that. You know, let's have some of that. Um, the willingness, you know, to... There's two things in that, isn't there? You know, there's the, the willingness to empathise with another person's struggle and the desire to make that struggle end for them, but then also um, a compassion for the self as well. You know, I uh, one of the things that I that I come up with uh, come up against most, if you like, in my experience, is inner critics and inner bullies. You know, it's not the critic and the bully out there; it's the, it's the one in here. You know, and they're the ones that really hold so, us back in life, aren't they? Because we can't avoid them. Yeah, yeah, and that's where things like that's where things like mindfulness really, really can help. You know, it really can help you to. Get some distance on your thinking. Get some distance on that inner experience instead of being overwhelmed and consumed by it. Actually, a little step back. You know, it only has to be a small amount for you to experience just a little relief. And if you've been grinding your gears all day, that little relief is, is, is significant, you know? What do you feel about, um, what do you feel about, like, writing? Because... You know, when I have so many ideas going to my head, and, and some people say, "Look, write it down," because if you write it down, it's out of your head. Even mm -hmm. if you do nothing with it, even if no one reads it, you never read it again. It's out of your head. I mean, yeah. have you ever tried that, or is that something that makes any sense? Yeah. So, look, I even came to this conversation with a notepad. <laughs> 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 so I like to write a lot, um, but but I. I recommend it for people that I'm working with as well for a couple of reasons. One is like, you know, about kind of maybe setting some intention around what's going on for you and where you want to be. But the other thing is about like a reflection on the day. So, you know what, even if your writing is, you know what, this is what I'm grateful for today. What kind thing did I do for myself and somebody else today? You know, uh, and that's it, a real simple thing, like a gratitude list and, you know, a, a, a bit of a, a record of your random acts of kindness, you know. Um, I, I think it's important because you're turning your attention, you know, you're turning your attention towards something and, you know, you can just have your streams of consciousness just where you're writing stuff down, just getting stuff out of your system and then you don't maybe look back at that and for a little while and that's okay as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, writing is a good tool. Definitely a good tool. Yeah. Yeah. Lee, have we had any comments or anything come in? No, mate. Not, no, nothing come but, in, comment wise. Well, what, what we're going to do, Cherry, unless anyone else has got anything else to say, has anyone got any last things? No, I'm fine, mate. No. Then what no. we'll do, Cherry, I'm, uh, I'm going to advertise tomorrow's show. But while I'm having a think, if you can think of any sayings or quotes, They've got you through hard times or might help someone out there. Now, tomorrow we're joined by Ashley Nixon. Ashley Nixon has already been on the show. If you want to listen to his show, he was a, 
one of my boxers who turned to drugs, went to prison, and now he's studying to be a, min a minister uh, for the church. And we're going to be talking about, in times of peril, we normally turn to religion, be it a mosque, a church, whatever it is. But now that the churches and the religious centres and temples have closed, how would the public, how's his flock dealing with it? And I want people to realise, that's what I want me to say this to you, and we'll cover it tomorrow. Just because the doors are closed doesn't mean God has closed it and turned his back on you. We'll be talking about this tomorrow with us at the normal time at 6pm. So, Cherry, have you thought any quotes or sayings? Yeah, I've got a couple, right? So the first one is uh, Nina Simone. She says, um, you have to learn to leave the table when love is no longer being served. And um, the other one is um, one that I just come to understand myself, which was, which was that the sun shines on the inside always, even when we can't see it. And it's only the clouds of our thinking that gets in the way. Beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you ever so much, Cherry, for coming on. So until we see everyone tomorrow, 6pm, uh, take care of yourselves and each other. Tara bit. Listen, listen, listen. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you'd like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta a bit. Listen, listen, listen.